Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hydration is not just for people who are training for championships and marathons. It's about daily maintenance. If you're traveling, which I do a lot, and I can feel the hydration coming out of my body If you're standing on the sidelines of your child's soccer game, screaming and cheering, if you're on back-to-back conference calls, neighborhood walks, doesn't matter. You need proper hydration. It's essential. And I am very bad at it, I will admit. So I was excited to learn about Liquid IV. It's the number one powdered hydration brand in America. They are so awesome because it's conveniently packaged. It is kind of delicious. I'm more of a lemonade, strawberry kind of gal, but they have everything from pina colada to tropical punch to acai berry. It's just a lot of good stuff because for me, I am not the best water drinker. I'm not going to lie. And you can put it in 16 ounces of water. It hydrates you two times faster and more effectively than just water. I'm so in. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Grab your liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco or even better, get 20% off, 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code HUMANS at checkout. That's 20% off anything when you shop Better Hydration today using the promo code HUMANS at liquidiv.com. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today's episode is one of two parts because there's so much to talk about when it comes to substance misuse and our youth. So I have enlisted Dr. Danielle Dick, who's the director of the Rutgers Addiction Research Center, and she is just an amazing researcher and writer who looks at both genetic and environmental influences and how they contribute to the development of patterns of substance use and related behaviors. And so this is super important. If you have younger children, you want to get in with these conversations and prevention early. If you have older children, we're addressing everything you need to know and all the questions that sort of make the research more realistic. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to write a review because it helps get the word out. It helps so much when you go to Apple, you give it a five-star rating and write a little review. That really helps get the world to see more of Raising Good Humans podcast. And of course, 
If you have not already, please remember to order your book, The Five Principles of Parenting. The Five Principles of Parenting is my very first book. And when you order it, I am so grateful. Plus, because I'm so grateful, I have a special series of Zooms that are live. The next one is in October, and we are talking about the crucial role parents have in building resilience, the five tools parents need, and the five teachable skills that our children need. That's coming in October. All you have to do is pre-order your book, and it's free. You just go to DrAliza.com and send in your order number. It's so easy and it helps me so much because you're my community. We are in community together. And when you order it, the world gets wind of it and we can sprinkle more of this good humaning out in the world. So today I want to dive into the research on substance use in young people and the practical applications because I think in absence of practical applications, it becomes so confusing and you get so many parents saying like, well, what am I supposed to do? So full stop, can we just go over what various substances do to the developing brain? Yes. So one of the reasons that we care so much about adolescents and young adults is because we know that there is such rapid brain development that's going on across that period of time. And so the reality is that drugs affect developing brains differently than they affect fully developed brains. You know, there's increasing evidence that even alcohol is not good for anyone, even fully developed brains. You know, we used to talk sometimes about, oh, maybe a glass of wine a day is actually good for you. And newer research has demonstrated that that's not the case. Alcohol in general does not have health-promoting effects for anyone. Yeah, that was a real bummer, that new. <laughs> I know, wasn't it? Because uh, yeah, I do enjoy true. a nice glass of wine with dinner occasionally. But when it comes to kids... What we know is that because their brains are developing so quickly, there's actually more adverse effects. And that's why, you know, we have laws and other things in place, but it's also why we see a lot of risk-taking behavior in adolescence, because what we know is that what's going on in brain development from adolescence all the way through about age 25. So even when you send kids off to college, they still have very developing brains as well. And so what we know is that the parts of the brain that are essentially involved in pursuing the things that we want, right? What we sometimes call the hot brain, the highly emotional brain, the one that, you know, is essentially all of our, our desires and our, our it's, it's a very adaptive thing that the part of our brain that makes us seek out things we want would develop first because of course, we need to seek out food uh, to stay alive and sexual partners in order to perpetuate the human race and all of those things. But the part of our brain that develops more slowly is the part that helps us think through consequences. And so if you think about that, what you have in adolescence are a group of individuals who the parts of their brains that are highly attuned to pleasure, reward-seeking, are highly developed, the parts that help them think through long-term consequences are not fully developed. That's why we see a lot of risk-taking 
And then you layer on the fact that alcohol and other substances are having a more adverse effect on the developing brain. And unfortunately, we know that a lot of the things that get impacted are things like memory, or in the case of cannabis as well, particularly motivation. And those are the things that are really important for adolescents, right? To be their, their job, in a sense, is going to school. It's learning new things. It's getting motivated to care about their futures and what they want to do with them. And, and drugs can impact that really important developmental task that we as parents want them to be focused on at that point. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. Here's one that I really have loved. It's called One Skin. And, you know, I get these products with enough advanced time to really see if they're effective so I can give a personal endorsement. And One Skin is awesome. So if you, like me, are always on the hunt for fun, advanced skincare technology that keeps your skin looking healthy and smooth and, you know, just with a little bit of a glow, check out One Skin, founded by a team of female longevity scientists with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of how we age. So I love a female-founded company. I love female scientists. And they discovered the OS1 peptide. The OS1 peptide has been evidence-based in science to target aging. And I love how this cream feels on my skin. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company, and One Skin addresses skin health at the molecular level, targeting the root causes of aging. So skin behaves, feels, and appears younger. It's time to get started with your new face, eye, and body routine at a discounted rate today. Get 15% off with the code goodhumans at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code goodhumans. We only have one body, one skin, and only you can choose to make it feel great. See how your skin feels. I love bread. I'm not going to say I don't love bread, but I don't really love how bread makes me feel. And hero bread is solved for that because it has the taste and texture of this soft, fluffy, delicious flavor. It has a lot of fiber and ultra low net carbs, zero sugar per slice. And if you use the code humans, you get 10% off at hero.co. So you can check it out yourself. But what I love about hero bread is that I like a sandwich. I like toast but I actually just don't feel good anymore having something that is so high in sugar and so high in carbs and not really what I'm looking for. Hero bread is the first kind of bread where it says that it has no sugar and low carbs and high fiber and actually tastes like bread. I can authentically recommend it. I do not think that we should have a bread-free world, but this particular bread, especially when you just want like a turkey sandwich, I don't know. You got to try it. Visit hero.co and use the code humans at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. That's H-E-R-O.co with the code humans for 10% off your first order. This feels like when I don't want to have the downside of some of the breads that I would have in a sandwich, but I do want the taste. I'm trying to decide which part of this conversation to move into first, because I would say that the majority of 
parents that I speak with are completely sold on the idea that drugs and alcohol are not good for the developing brain, though I think it's important to understand specifically why. Part of that is so that you can make sure that your kids understand why, but also because I think people don't really know. Parents ask questions that typically revolve around what to do in party culture behavior. And I mean, as early as middle school, and then also what to do in your home in terms of influencing the substance use culture. And one thing that I'm sure you've heard a lot is when parents say, you know, I want them to learn at home so that they don't go off to college and like binge drink and have real problems. Or I want them to learn at home and be with their friends at home where I can at least make sure that the substances are safe or fill in the blank for anything that you can think of. I'd rather them do it here than sneak out. All of those challenges that parents go through, can you help us unpack those and how best to navigate this kind of thinking? Absolutely. You raised so many important questions in there. So I'm going to take them kind of step by step, which is one thing that parents ask me frequently about is this question of, wouldn't it be better if I let my kid use alcohol at home with me in a supervised way, as you said, maybe so they can better understand the effects of alcohol, or if there's going to be friends over so that they're using here and I know no one's driving. And I think that there's a few things that you want to think about in there. One is we don't want to assume that all kids are going to be drinking or using other drugs. And in fact, if you look at alcohol use, kids these days are actually using alcohol drastically less than we were 30 years ago. And so many of us as parents are in a different mindset where, for example, you know, if you if you look back a few decades, then it was somewhere around 75% of high school seniors said that they had used alcohol. Now it's just over 50%. So that's been a big drop. And so I think the first thing is don't assume your kid is naturally going to drink or that everyone is drinking. It's not the case. And, and kids are actually making healthier choices now than we did when we were younger. Secondly, if you're going to this question of wouldn't it be better if I introduced my child and sort of socialized them to alcohol, because that way it makes it less of the quote unquote forbidden fruit. We know that kids like to push the edge of the envelope. And so by making alcohol less accessible, do we increase its essentially attraction for young people? That's a question I'm frequently asked. And, and people will sometimes point to Europe and say, you know, in Europe, it's typical that adolescents will be out and they'll have a glass of wine with their parents. And, you know, they're not falling over drunk with their parents. They're responsibly using alcohol. And that's how I want to socialize my child. And <laughs> it turns out that's actually a huge myth. myth, myth. myth. Yeah. Yes. I, I call it the European myth. This idea that, you know, they socialize their children and then they use responsibly. In fact, what we know is that it is true that kids are more likely to have access to alcohol or be given sips of alcohol with parents and at home, but there is no evidence that that translates into 
less risky behavior when they are not with their parents. And in fact, because there are laws that allow for alcohol use earlier and that are less restrictive in Europe, that combined with a sort of more permissive attitude toward alcohol is actually related to some of the highest rates of risky youth drinking and problems, much more so than the United States. And so there is no evidence that in fact, teaching your kids to responsibly use at home translates their being more responsible when they are not under your supervision out with friends, unfortunately. And that gets back to what we were talking about with respect to brain development, that their brains are at a place where they are more risk-taking. And when they are with their friends and everybody's having a fun time and the person says, hey, try this beer. Hey, have another one. Hey, now do you want to try the punch? Their brains are just primed to be much more likely to say, yes, that sounds great. Let's try it. And there's no evidence that essentially that sort of learning or exposure to alcohol in the home will help them make better choices, unfortunately. In fact, there's some evidence of the reverse, that when parents are more permissive and allow you know, more access to alcohol, that kids are more likely to be using and using in risky ways outside of the home. And how does that change when you have a history of dependence in your family? That's another great question. So a lot of parents ask me whether or not they should tell their kids if there is a history of alcohol problems in the family. And the answer is absolutely. In the same way that if you had a history of cardiovascular disease, you would obviously tell your kids. And I think the fact that we even ask the question speaks to how there still is stigma surrounding substance use disorders in our society. But knowing that there is a family history, and because substance use disorders are partly genetically influenced, so about 50% of the differences between people in how much they use and their likelihood to develop problems is due to differences in people's DNA. And then the other half is due to differences in our environments. But in the same way that if you had cardiovascular disease running in your family, you'd want to let your kids know because it means that they might have to make different choices. They might not be able to eat the same foods. They might have to change their exercise regimen. They might eventually have to take medications. In other words, do things to intervene to reduce their risk. If there are substance use problems in your family, it's important for kids to have that information, to know they are more at risk. They should you know, pay attention to if they're finding that you know, they're really drawn to using, or maybe they're using heavily or, or more heavily than their friends, recognizing there might be some genetic risk in there, that they might not be able to use alcohol in the same way as their friends without being more likely to develop problems. These are important pieces of information for kids to have as they start to make choices about, you know, what kind of health-related behaviors they want to pursue, particularly as they're leaving home and going to college and will have more autonomy to make those decisions. So let's extend that a little bit. So you know that your child has a family history of risk. You've shared your expectations, but they also say to you, I want to go to this party. I don't, I won't drink but I really want to go to this party that I know is going to have alcohol or I know is going to have drugs, et cetera. Let's walk through how that looks 
in both cases, actually, whether or not there's a history in your family or there isn't a history in your family. And knowing that we want to acknowledge kids are going to go to socialize. And it's not always parties. It could be sleepovers. It could be just like hanging out with a few friends. I think there are many different scenarios, but parents really struggle when it comes to finding the balance between uh, allowing the unfolding of adolescence and their expanding social lives and also still reminding them they need support because these are big ticket items that could have a huge impact. Absolutely. And so this is why you want to start talking to your kids about alcohol and other drugs, even before ideally you were at the point where they're having these these encounters so that they will be coming to you with these conversations. I sometimes say it is never too early to start having these conversations with your kids. It's also never too late. And by that, I mean, we live in a culture where alcohol is everywhere. It really is. You see it in movies. You see it on advertisements, whether that's you know on the side of a bus or on people's T-shirts or you know even on social media, etc. And so it's not uncommon for little kids. Even you might have an alcoholic beverage, and they'll say, "Oh, can I try some of that?" And that's you know those are the places where you start having those conversations, and you say. Oh, no, this is a drink that has alcohol in it. And only grownups can drink alcohol. And they'll say, well, why? And that's where you can say, well, because it influences kids' brains different than adult brains. And that's probably all your five-year-old wants to know. They'll happily run off and do something else. As they become teenagers, they might really start to you know, ask more. Well, why is that? And so I think that being armed with the facts is one of the things that can help parents. I'll mention that on my website, danielledick.com, I have a variety of resources for parents to help with having some of these conversations and with some of the facts surrounding substance use. But one thing, for example, for parents to know is that kids who start drinking earlier are much more likely to develop problems than kids who drink later. And so, for example, kids who are drinking earlier than, say, 15 about 40% of them, you know, go on to eventually develop problems as opposed to the group of kids who wait until 21 or later, you know, legal drinking age, only about 10% of those individuals go on to develop problems. And so it just really speaks to this, the longer that you can hold off on exposing your brain to, you know, these kinds of drugs, the better it will be for long-term outcomes. So I think that these are important conversations to have. And if your child is then coming to you saying, hey, I really want to go to this party, but there's alcohol, or I was somewhere and there was alcohol and I felt really uncomfortable, I didn't know what to do, that's great because you do want to have developed that relationship that your child can talk to you about these things. So in preparing for those actual conversations, I think first, it's really important for you to have thought of and talked with your partner, if there's a co-parent here, about what are the rules surrounding alcohol use in your family? And why do you have those rules? And so I'll give you as an example, you know, I do drink socially, but with my teenage son, he's very clear that, you know, because obviously mom's a neuroscientist, I study the effects of drugs on developing brains my job 
is to help him grow into the best version of himself. And so alcohol is a hard no in our house. It's one of those things that, you know, there's a lot of things I'll work with you on and we can talk about, you know, how we're going to handle it. But this one is a hard no. And here are the reasons why, because, you know, it affects your brain adversely and I want to set you up for success and all the things I know you care about in the long term, this would potentially interfere. So that is the rule in our family. So with that being the rule, then the conversation is, okay, but you know, my friends are going to this place. There is alcohol there. I don't want to not be able to go out with my friends. Okay. That's a great conversation to have with your kid. Okay. So how are we going to work through and think through these things? And so if alcohol is the hard no, for example, in the conversations I've had with my son, then, and you want to be somewhere where there is alcohol served, or let's imagine you have a, a college kid going off where they're likely to be in settings where there's alcohol, but maybe they don't want to drink. You know, I always talk about, you never know, nobody knows what's in that red solo cup. And so a trusty standby is always that you can put anything. You can put soda, you can put water, and you can have your red solo cup. And then you don't even have to have the conversations. Another thing might be like, well, you actually want to practice with your kids about what are they going to say and help them find the language that feels comfortable for them. And so, you know, the old practice makes perfect. What we know is if they have already kind of done a dress rehearsal of thinking through, how am I going to handle it? What am I going to say? Before they're in the situation, they're much more likely to actually follow through and not be taken aback and feel that sudden peer pressure. And so those are conversations you can have with your kids about how, you know, your family is going to handle it. And then to help them think through that in keeping with those rules, how are you going to work with them in the case that they potentially do want to be in social situations where there might be alcohol to give them the skills to navigate those? And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. Here is something that is a little out of character for me, which my kids are very grateful for me finding out about. And those are the Pillsbury Crescent Rolls that can be added to your weeknight dinner rotation. Yes, yes, it's important to have sit-down meals, but no, it is not important to make them a lengthy event where you have to do so much preparing and so much work that by the time it actually is dinner, you're kind of spent. So, you know, do something fun, like getting Pillsbury Crescents that have yummy ingredients that make Crescents instead of a side dish, a whole main dish. They've got, you know, things you can fill with Pillsbury Crescents. It's easy as fill, roll, bake. You can find your Pillsbury in the dairy aisle. Dinner prep is in 30 minutes or less, and it's really like five minutes plus the time it is in the oven. Picky eater pleasing, and they have lots of dinner recipes at Pillsbury.com to give you ideas. So find more weeknight dinner recipes at Pillsbury.com. Have fun. Don't be so serious about it. And your kids are probably going to be like, what? Great. And it was a win. You can find your Pillsbury in the dairy aisle. Dinner prep is in 30 minutes or less, and it's really like five minutes plus the time it is in the oven. 
With Pillsbury Crescents, it's easy as fill, roll, bake. This episode is also sponsored in part by Nordic Naturals, which is the number one selling fish oil brand in the U.S. Nordic Natural Supplements for Moms support female health throughout life, including at every stage of pregnancy and after. I still use them, and I used them when I was pregnant over 17 years ago. Nordic Naturals fish oils provide a reliable source of building block omega-3s for babies' prenatal and postnatal brain and nervous system development. And Nordic Natural Omega-3 products also delivers foundational support for women to promote a healthy brain, heart, and immune system at the cellular level for any age. I still take them. I make my teenage daughters take them. I tell every pregnant friend to take them because Nordic Natural Supplements are non-GMO verified, third-party tested for quality, and contain no artificial colors or flavors. And I trust Nordic Naturals because they have for so long been so high quality with none of the garbage, none of the worries, and all the perks of the omegas. And we know that this is one of the supplements that actually matters for brain development. It's great for you. So shop today at nordic.com. Use the promo code RGH for 20% off your first order. Nordic.com, promo code RGH for 20% off your first order. It's awesome. Easy to recommend. Now, what happens when all of these things are put in place and you get the phone call from your kid where they're like, I know that I made this agreement with you. I screwed up, but I don't feel safe. I want you to pick me up or whatever it is. Absolutely. And I also say that, you know, the reality is our kids are still growing and developing and, you know, getting things wrong and learning from them is a part of developing too. So as much planning, you can do all of these things, you can have them in place. And I do think that when you have those conversations beforehand with your child, you also want to emphasize the other, not to assume that they're going to break the rules or whatnot, but to, to kind of end with that. And the bottom line is the thing I care most about is your safety. And so if ever you are in a place, even if you have broken the rules, we will talk about that later, but in the moment, I'm not going to yell we're not going to have to talk about it then i will always come get you no questions asked you know at that time and 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 get you home or to safety and or your friends i always want to be there to ensure your safety i do think that is a key piece that you want to incorporate into those conversations so that your child who is still learning growing and you know will inevitably make mistakes whether it's in the realm of alcohol and other drugs or something else but so that they feel comfortable coming to you. Now, that does not mean uh, that you have to promise nothing will happen. And so, you know, I think that to say, hey, in the moment, all my priority is, is going to be getting you home. We don't have to talk about it, but at that evening. But I do think, you know, as with all things, kids learn with consequences. And so I you know, even if you say, hey, that evening and that evening is probably not the time to have the conversation, but the next day or so to say, let's talk about what happened, right? And to process it with your child and to actually listen to them to get, you know, their input, to better understand, to think about 
what are you going to do differently? You know, is there something, how can we come up with a better plan so this doesn't happen again? And the other reality is that, you know, it is good to have constant, when kids break rules, there need to be consequences. We know that helps them learn and that helps, you know, deter future future the transgressions, if you will, as well. And so I think that ideally what you want is both. You want the conversation to help them think through. And then, you know, if you've already talked with them at the beginning about, hey, these are the rules. And if they're broken, you know, here are going to be the consequences. Now they're, you know, this is not you coming down as the mean bad person. You are just up holding what you all have agreed is the, you know, the rules and the consequences of breaking them in your house. But it doesn't have to be done in a punitive, you know, way that makes them not want to call you if ever they are in that situation in the moment. So let's imagine walking through this, another scenario where your kid says, I'm going to do this. Do you want me to do it? without your permission and in a sneaky way, or do you want me to be honest with you? So I think that when your kiddo starts with, I'm going to do this, (laughs) that's never a good thing, right? But it's such a common thing for our teenagers to want to do. And of course, this is a normal developmental thing. They're wanting to exert more control over their life. And they don't like the reality that as a parent, you actually still do have a lot of control over your child's life. And I think that is the important thing to remember is that as parents, we have a lot of control over our kids' lives. And so we can still set the rules, set the consequences. That said, if your child is saying, I'm going to do this anyway, and so how do you want me to go about doing that? If we can look beyond that sort of, you know, teenage facade of how they've presented it, which so often, you know, like, you know, can really frustrate us. Essentially, what they're doing is wanting to, they are coming to you to have a conversation of there is a tension between what I want, which is probably to spend time with their friends and what the rules are. And I do think that one of the things that you want to do as your teenager, there, there's no one answer to this because one of the things you want to do is to walk that line as a parent of, you know, you are still the parent, but you want to develop a collaborative relationship of being able to have those conversations with your child. And sometimes they won't like the outcome, you know, and they'll come away mad at you. But When you do it in a way that I think shows them you care, you are there for them, here is why there are these rules that, you know, even though in the moment they won't love it, it can still create that kind of collaborative, nurturing relationship. Wonderful. Okay. Throwing out more tricky scenarios only because I think it's very settling for parents to hear that there are going to be a lot of things that are going to sound familiar because adolescents tend to have a natural course of development. There are challenges that are pretty common. There's a way to respond to them through the lens of a researcher and also a parent. Because I think what happens is they're brilliant. They can give you pretty good arguments 
And if you don't have the grounding of what is so clear in the research about what this does to their brains, especially if they are more at risk for substance misuse, there is something to to arm parents with the confidence of being able to hold their ground and be the sturdy presence in their children's lives during this time when these kinds of challenges come up, I actually think it's quite relaxing for kids, like to have a great relationship with your child, but very clear lines about using substances can really be a gift to them because there's just so much pushing back. And I also, you know, I wonder the argument that a lot of parents have and a lot of kids have is this idea of like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So I may as well, you know, like, do you want me to tell you or not tell you or any of the variations on that? I often see parents afraid to set those parameters and limits because they don't want to promote the pushback, but kids are going to push back on something. So if you're handing them alcohol and cannabis and whatever, and they're now not pushing back on that, then they have to go even further. Like give them something to push. Yes. I always joke that no one can get under your skin like your child. You know, they know your buttons to push. And and as they are moving through their teenage years, then they tend to push a lot of them. And so, you know, we know that these conversations are best had when as the parent, you can help regulate because many times your teenager will be all worked up, right? They're full of big emotions. And and it's okay also if you find yourself getting riled up, right? They're pushing your buttons and saying, I'm going to do it anyway. And, you know, your immediate inclination is like, oh, no, you're not. I'm not. I'm the parent here. And we know that conversation goes nowhere good. And so if you find your emotions rising, that's not a great time to have the conversation with your child. And it's totally fine to say, you know what? I hear you. I hear that you're frustrated. I'm getting really frustrated right now. And so this is not a good time to have this conversation. So I need to calm down. And of course, you know, the implied there too, but you don't want to say it to them is, and you need to calm down a bit as well, but I need to calm down because I'm feeling very frustrated. And we can talk about this later when I'm not feeling so upset about it. That also gives you time to regroup and think about what you want to say to your child and how you want to present it. Because I think that the, the reality is that there you do want to have these collaborative conversations and they are going to differ depending on your child. And so part of that might be surrounding these things about are they more at risk or not? And I think in a minute we can talk about how to know if your child is more at risk or not because different families might have different boundaries, different kids might de- need different boundaries. One of the clinical psychologists that I worked with, I love that they put it in that there's three buckets. There's bucket A, B, and C. And you can use this for anything, no matter how old your child is. And the question is, as a parent, what is going into bucket A, which is the things that I will not budge on? These are non-negotiable. You're a brick wall on these. 
that might be wearing a seatbelt in the car, right? You're, you're not going to have a conversation with your child about it every time you get in because they don't want to wear their seatbelt. Like these things are just non-negotiable. At the other end, the C bucket is things that you're not even going to like lose any sleep arguing over. Like, you know, if they, if they want to not wear their mittens and it's a chilly day, like, okay, just stuff the mittens in your pockets and take them, you know, and, and again, what falls into each of these buckets will differ, but it's the C bucket is, we're not even going to have an argument about this because, you know, I, it's just easier not to, to fight this battle. And the B bucket is the things that actually you are willing to have conversations about and that you and your child can negotiate what that's going to look like. And so if you think about alcohol use, what falls into that ABC bucket is going to differ for different families and different parents, probably depending on your background experience, maybe your family risk, how worried you are about your child's risk. So for me, my A bucket is using alcohol is not okay while you're a minor because it's not good for your brain. The B bucket is, okay, if you want to have conversations about there are going to be social events that you want to be at, that there might be alcohol at, let's have a conversation about what that's going to look like. I'm not offhand just saying, yes, you can go to all parties where there's alcohol. I'm not offhand saying no. I'm saying, help me understand what that looks like. Why do you want to be at these places? How are we going to handle them, et cetera? That's my B bucket. And then, you know, the, the C bucket, I mean, I, I don't know what's in there for the alcohol piece for me, but, but you, can, you sort of get the sense of like, what are the non-negotiable things and what are the things that you're willing to have a conversation about with your child? And that's why you want to have offhand thought about maybe for you going to any party where there's alcohol is in that A bucket. That's a absolutely not okay. And you might have very good reasons for that. And so when you have that conversation with your child, the conversation is going to be about why that is totally off limits and then how else they're going to fulfill social needs, navigate it, et cetera. So I think that's a framework by which you can think about what are our rules? What are the things that I will have a conversation about? And what are the things that I just need to let my child know this one is non-negotiable? Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.